Good morning, Mars Hill. Today's teaching text is Genesis chapter 25, verses 29 to 34. And if you also have a shed Bible, you can find that on page something, 24. Yeah, great, page 24. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his brother, his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. The Lord be with you. Um, my name is Troy. Happy to be one of our co-lead pastors. We are nine weeks into this summer series. Are you doing the math? What that actually means for your summer? Good morning. Happy to be the bearer of good news. Um, nine weeks into this series, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, before we jump into this one, I just wanted to say a quick thank you. Last week, I extended an invitation for us to, um, to say yes to being prayed for. Uh, to be prayed for personally, physically in this space, and also to submit prayers. These prayer walls around the room are virtual prayer wall online. And um, we haven't had that kind of a response in a really long time. Some of the folks who are part of our prayer team are saying, I don't, I've never had that many people come asking. Um, since really probably Easter of this year, we haven't had this many prayer requests physically and online. I, I, I usually have three to five sitting on my desk. This week I had 13 as we're scattering it around with our staff. And that says multiple things to me, but what I want to say to you is I want to say thanks for saying yes to that invitation and for trusting us, our prayer team and our staff to hold with you. The very thing that Denise was just inviting us to do physically with the children, we're trying to do that together for our church. And so thank you for that. And I just want to give you a, a little bit of a heads up. I'm going to ask for you to take another step in a couple of minutes. Good, nobody got up to leave. I was just checking on that. We'll step into a little bit more prayer in a few minutes, but I just wanted to say thank you. Jacob and Esau. I'm gonna guess that for some of us, this is one of those stories that's really familiar and that you heard, when you heard the text being read, there might have been a temptation to begin daydreaming or wrapping up that grocery list in your mind. You've heard this story, you've heard it a bunch of times. Um, here we go again. Uh, I'll say this, I didn't grow up going to church as a kid, so I had never heard of this story until I got to my freshman year of college. 
I went to a small um, Christian liberal arts college for my undergrad, and it required every incoming freshman to take an Old Testament survey course where you would move chronologically through the first two-thirds of the Bible. Um, And everything was new to me. I'd never heard any of these things, um, including this particular story, this story about these two brothers. It was all brand new. The first time I'd ever heard of it as an 18-year-old, this hairy brother who's red and who comes out of the womb holding on, or no, another brother who comes out of the womb holding on to his heel. I'd never heard that before. I'd never heard that there was one hungry brother who was willing to sell his birthright for some of that red stew, and a, another brother who was willing to take advantage of that. I had never heard of one brother who was a skilled hunter, and another brother who was content to stay at home among the tents. By the way, one of those brothers I certainly identify with more than the other. Take your guesses who that is. So I intended this week to preach on the sort of intertwining lives of these two brothers. Um, But I want to tell you that something happened to me in my prep this week for this sermon. And it was the first four verses of their origin story. And it shook me. And it grabbed a hold of me, and I couldn't get past it. And so, I know we just heard these particular verses, but I'm not going to preach that. I'm glad we heard it. I'm going to zoom back to the beginning of their story, um, because I think there's something here for us. Um, Maybe next week I'll deal with it directly. Okay, so let me do this. Let me give a small bit of context, and then into this. Uh, Uh, Here's an abridged family tree for this group of folks, Jacob and Esau. The beginning of Genesis 5, it starts with the death of a man named Abraham. Abraham is a mammoth figure in the Old Testament. He's the primary human subject of the book of Genesis. He dies at the beginning of chapter 25. Um, He has a wife named Sarah. Sarah can't conceive. She can't have children. But God has promised Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a son. And that son is Isaac. We'll talk about Isaac in just a minute. Isaac is the father of these two boys we just heard about, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, um, he's eventually going to be called Israel. He and his wife Leah have seven children. They have one daughter, Dinah, and six other kids. One of the sons is named Judah. I'm removing a lot of detail from here to the bottom, all right? All I want you to see is that Jesus is a direct descendant of that particular son, okay? I just want to give you a little bit of a glimpse of context. You potentially have heard the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or if you've read that, here's the people we're talking about. And in some ways, that little phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's a kind of shorthand for telling the whole story. It's a way of reminding us that the thing that we're part of goes way, way, way back. It's a kind of a way of connecting the life of Jesus to these ancient stories. And it's an encouragement that we're given to ask questions, when we come to these ancient texts, how do we find them fulfilled? How do we find them fulfilled in the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus? This is one big, long story being told. Okay, here's what I want to do. 
I want to focus on two prayers that we find in Genesis chapter 25. Um, Before the verses that we heard read a couple minutes ago, there's like some introductory verses, starting at verse 19. And those are the verses that grabbed a hold of me. Those are the verses I haven't been able to shake. So I'm going to go back to those verses. Um, Over the years, as Jacob and Esau have become more familiar to me, I feel like I've not actually paid much attention to this part of the story. So I want to invite you into that. Um, So two prayers is what we're going to focus on, starting at verse 19. If you don't have the Bible, a lot of this stuff's coming up, okay? Um, This verse 19 turns the story from Abraham to Isaac. And we're told uh, that Isaac is 40 years old when he marries his wife, Rebecca, which is good news. Any of you like me who didn't get married immediately after college, 40 years old, he got married. Good news. Be encouraged. Um, Okay. Anyway, Isaac prays to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she is childless. Remember, Isaac, Isaac is a miracle child. Isaac was born out of barrenness. And now we find Isaac praying to the Lord for his wife. Okay, keeps going. Verse 21 says, the Lord answered Isaac's prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Simple statements in this opening spot, this sort of introductory stuff. Simple statements, seems straightforward, seems timely. Isaac prays, the Lord answers, right? However, if we move a couple of verses forward, we come across what just looks like a passing detail that I think is really important for us. Verse 26 says this, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Do you see it? How old was Isaac when he married Rebekah? How old is Isaac when the children are born? Have you you ever noticed this particular detail, this 20-year gap? I think I've skipped over it so many times. 20 years between the marriage and the birth of these sons. Now, did Isaac pray for 20 years, literally? Did he pray all 20 years for this? I, I don't know, maybe not. But is it likely that Isaac was praying a long time for children to be born? Yes, that's very likely. Typical pattern here in these day and ages, you get married, you begin having children. This wasn't a time when culturally parents would put off having children until they were financially stable. This wasn't a time when partners would say, let's wait until we both have achieved some career status, or we've reached all of our educational aspirations. That's not the common practice. It's likely that early on, Isaac and Rebecca discover something's not right. Something's up. And probably early on, Isaac begins to pray for the Lord, to pray to the Lord on behalf of his wife. And despite what it looks like on paper, like some kind of cut and dried, quick prayer, quick answer exchange, we come to find out these children aren't born for a long time. 
This first prayer is about waiting. Second prayer. Second prayer in the origin story of Jacob and Esau. Isaac prays for Rebekah, and then the narrative moves immediately into Rebekah's experience of the pregnancy. In your Blue Shed Bible, it says this, the babies jostled each other within her, and she, Rebekah, said, why is this happening to me? Okay, we need to do a little bit of original language work here in order to, to grasp the actual intensity of this scene, okay? The babies jostled each other within her. Doesn't that sound playful and nice? Isn't that nice? Isn't that a nice phrase? Cute, right? Why in the world would something so cute and playful cause somebody to go, what's going on? Why is this happening within me, right? It doesn't feel like there's a match here. Um, Some other translations say that Rebecca had a struggle within her. In the original language, this verb, whether it's jostle or struggle, um, the Hebrew word is ratsatz. Can you say that? Ratsatz. Ratsatz. This is an intense word. It even sounds intense, doesn't it? Ratsatz. This word means to crush, to crack into pieces. And that's quite different from like a gentle jostling inside of you, right? To crack into pieces. I imagine that this scene is actually one of discomfort and pain. I think what we're seeing here is Rebecca wanting some relief. I think, I think this is probably confusion. I think this is somebody seeking clarity, ratsatz, it's intense. And that helps to make sense of the next part when Rebecca's asking a question, when she says, when she says why is this happening to me? That's what it says in our version. It makes sense if there's a cracking into pieces. If there's something more intense going on, the question makes more sense. Another translation puts it like this. If it is to be this way, why do I live? Whoa. That's different than why is this happening? Why is this jostling happening? Are you getting the glimpse of this? Why do I live if this is how it is? There's another word, the, the New American Standard probably is, I think, is maybe the closest to the spirit of the Hebrew. Get this, if it is so, why then am I this way? What a weird sentence, what an awkward sentence. And in Hebrew, it's kind of like that. It's an awkward sentence. It's kind of illogical. It's unformed. It's like an incomplete thought. It's more like a amusing wondering. If it is so, then why am I this way? I, I think what we're getting here is, is maybe an emphasis on how confused Rebecca is. It's a situation and it's a feeling that's so intense, and I get the sense Rebecca wants relief. I get the sense Rebecca wants understanding, but she's She doesn't even know how to ask, and she doesn't know what to ask for. And then our text says she inquired of the Lord. I suspect even that's too benign a word for what's happening. This wasn't some kind of mental curiosity. I I think there's all 
kinds of emotions attached here, I think it's likely so emotional, so confusing, so disorienting. And then the Lord responds in a way, in light of that intensity, that frankly to me doesn't make a lot of sense. It certainly isn't the way that I would want the Lord to respond to my confusion, my discomfort, my despair. Rather than offering up this promise of relief, rather than offering up some word of hope, some word of encouragement, the Lord instead points to the future and essentially says there's going to be a continuation of what's currently happening. That the struggle that is happening inside of Rebecca, it's going to continue outside of her for a long, long time. This is only the beginning. And then what the Lord describes, two peoples will come from within you and they will be separated. It calls back to mind Genesis 3, where enmity and hostility and antagonism is realized between offspring and between family as a result of the fall. We see it all over just Genesis, Cain and Abel. Noah's sons, Abraham and Lot, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Laban, Joseph and his brothers. What appears at first to just be this individual localized confusion and pain, it's actually part of this big, much bigger reality that Rebecca could never even have comprehended or understood. And I cannot but wonder if maybe she had a sense that something big was going on. And that's why. That's why she didn't know how to ask. That's why she didn't even know what to ask for. So these two prayers, I feel so challenged. I feel so confronted by them. And by the ways that I, the ways that we pray today. I mean, this first prayer of Isaac, I think it just so easily, so loudly confronts this culture of right now. Right now results. Right now answers. It confronts our increasing discomfort with waiting waiting for answers, waiting for resolutions, waiting for responses, waiting for results. Just think about how long any one of us wait before we Google or open up Wikipedia whenever a question is asked that you immediately don't know the answer to. Think about how often you might refresh your email waiting for that reply or refresh that website hoping for that next update. In a social media dominated world, we're so used to replies, responses coming quickly. Thumbs ups, hearts. We're used to that quickly. I I love uh, Dave Eggers, an author that I love. I love the cheeky way that he describes this culture in one of his novels. He says, prayers to God were rarely answered while shouts into cyberspace always received a response, even if misspelled and hateful. 
And that's the culture that we are used to. That's the culture that we are steeped in. And that's the culture we are shaped and formed by. Waiting is so, so, so hard. And I sense the spirit as I've been sitting with this story. I sensed uh, two primary questions. I just feel haunted by them. So maybe these are just for me and you can eavesdrop on my own conversation with the spirit. I have a sense it's maybe for us. And the first question is this, what might be born in the waiting? While waiting for something to be born, what might be born while we wait? I mean, I know I'm obviously looking for the answer that I'm asking for, but am I also open to what God might provide, to what God might reveal, to what God might form while I wait? And then the second question is, why is not now such a difficult answer? Why is not now so hard? What is it about me? What is it about humans that we struggle so mightily with delay, with postponement, with waiting? What does it say about me that I would rather the answer be no than wait? What does it say about me that I would prefer no than not right now? I know that many of you are very familiar with waiting. That there are many of you who know not now very well. And I've been praying that you would receive deep comfort uh, from the words in chapter 3 of the letter to sec- from Second Peter. There's a letter written to people who were waiting, to some people who really needed some encouragement. And the author says, remember that to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And that the Lord isn't slow, as some of us understand slowness, but rather the Lord is patient. And our short-sightedness and our inability to zoom out and to take in the whole story, it just reminds us of our limitations and it should be, it could be for us a deep invitation to lean on and to take comfort in and to seek union with the Lord so that God's patience would become our patience. So that God's understanding of slowness might become our understanding. And yet, talking about patience in timelines, as important as that is, how true this is, I don't actually think that's the main point of this story. I don't think that's the most important part. 
I think that the prayer that Rebecca prays, it confronts something much more fundamental for us. And it's that we don't even know what we should be praying for. It's one thing to be patient and to assume that you know what you're praying for is right. It's another thing to recognize that we don't even know what we should be praying for. That while we recognize and we do our best to name our desires, in this story, a child, relief, understanding, while we do our best to name those things, our prayers should always humbly recognize that we don't recognize that we know that we don't know, that we see that we cannot see, that we certainly cannot see as God sees, that we certainly cannot know as God knows, that our understandings, that our capacities are so limited that we don't know what we should really be asking for. And if you're like me, that kind of realization, it might bring you into an Eeyore-like response as it relates to prayer, why bother, right? What's the point? But I think this realization that we don't actually know what it is we should be praying for, that, that, that cements in us that, in fact, the We should be praying, in effect, the best prayer we could possibly ever pray is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I can't know. I can't possibly know. So would it be your will that is realized? It's a prayer that Jesus didn't simply teach. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden, the night he was betrayed, staring down a road that he would prefer to be a different path. Praise your will be done. And we too are invited to name what we believe is true and ultimately to trust in a will wiser than our own. So we don't need to be passive, we don't need to be apathetic about our prayers as if they don't matter. Instead, we declare along with the book of Hebrews, that we have a great high priest. A great high priest who empathizes with us and knows our weaknesses and our limitations. A high priest that knows that we don't know. And because of that high priest, we're told we can approach God with confidence. that not like Eeyore, but that we can confidently come not knowing. We can hold unswervingly to hope 
because we know that the one who promises is faithful. And we are told that we can receive grace. We may not receive the answer that we're asking for. We may not receive the timeline that we're asking for, but we're promised we will receive grace even when we don't know what we should be asking for. Such good news. And then Hebrews also calls us to consider. Consider how we might spur one another on. How we might be encouraging to one another. And that's what I want to spend a few moments stepping into now. Because I know in this room, there are people who are tired of waiting. You've been praying, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And you're weary. And there are some who know that they need to be praying, who know something is happening. I feel the cracking open. I feel the crushing. I know something is happening. I don't even know what it is that I should be praying for. And what I would like to step into for a couple of minutes is I would like us to be able to hold you as Denise was just inviting us to do. I would like us to be able to pray along with you. Not because, hear this so loud and clear, I, I'm not advocating say, you've been trying to pray, come and let us pray and we'll crack that code right now. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let us wait with you. Let us not know with you. Would you be willing to say, I'm tired of waiting. I don't know what it is that I should be praying for. And allow some members of our prayer team, uh, Denise and I, this community at large, to hold space with you and to pray for you. And the invitation that I would like to ask is, uh, is that you would humbly and maybe with faith make that known to us so that we can pray for you, so that we can intercede, so that we can surround you. In many ways, I'm asking for like kind of a prayer altar call. Would you come forward? Would you make yourself known so that we could actually hold space with you? And so I asked Denise if she would come and she would pray with me. We've got some people who are part of our prayer team that are eager to come around. Um, And we're going to just spend a handful of minutes for those who need prayer to take the time to do that now. For those who are weary of waiting, for those who know they should ask but don't know what to ask for. Um, We want to open up some of that space. And so without any coercion, I'm going to ask you to make yourself known on would you come. And we would love to be able to pray for you and hold space with you. Denise and I will pray. We'll invite those of you who are, uh, are still seated to extend a hand. If you know the person, you can pray for them. You can come. I want to have a space of some real freedom here to do whatever it is that we need to do. But I want to invite those of you who are waiting for those of you who are unsure even how to pray, uh, 
to come. Thank you. And we know that Hebrews also tells us that the Spirit intercedes for us with a sighs and groans that transcend language and words. And so we trust in that Spirit, even as we come into this moment where we don't know what is being asked for. We don't know what is being presented. Yet we trust Chad, can I ask you to come? That'd be great if you'd come over here and pray for these songs. And for the rest of us, I mean, I'm going to guess that there are some who are choosing not to stand. Uh, we, could, we pray for you. We hold you up as well, trusting God. God is very well aware of what it is that you need. And if you're uh, holding space here and have a sense that there's someone to pray for, that there's someone here to pray for, um, just want to invite you into a little bit of that. We're not going to belabor this, but we want to, we want to practice what we believe to be true and not simply... Uh, Say, go and do this on some random Tuesday. Let's enter into these spaces now. for all who are in this room who are tired from waiting. We pray for supernatural endurance, for hope, um, an illogical hope. For a real divine patience. Pray they'd be surrounded by other people who would buoy them in the waiting. We pray for words of encouragement and hope, for experiences, glimpses of breakthrough, for taste, hints and tastes of prayers being realized. And for those who feel they're in a space now of, of uncertainty, of wordlessness, 
who know that there is a need, that know there is something to be asked for, but are just simply not sure what that is. We hold them before you as well, God, trusting that you know every heart, that you as the the architect of life, that you are well aware. We pray that wordless prayers would be answered, that sighs and groans would be met with presence. And God, would you make of this particular church, of this particular place, uh, a culture and a community that is eager to pray with, and a culture and a community that is eager to say, I don't know how to pray. God, teach me. God, your will be done. God, give what it is that we need, even when we're not sure what to ask for. God, work in ways that we are not wise enough to ask for. God, provide in ways that we are not wise enough to ask for. God, meet us. Meet us in those moments of humility and vulnerability and uncertainty and powerlessness. I think one of the gifts of coming to the table every single week is that we are provided a tangible example of not just God's goodness, it's a tangible example of a prayer that we didn't know to pray. This is a request that we didn't know to ask for. This is a a physical embodiment for those who are weary from waiting for those who are desperate to receive from God what it is that they need and don't have the language to ask for we find that at this table we take it into our bodies we're sustained for the journey ahead We'll continue with this spirit of prayer and singing as we eat. But let's come to this table together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And so God, we are grateful for this time to praise you, to join our voices with angels and archangels, to trust that you know us intimately as we come to be fed by you, to receive whatever it is that you have to give to us, even the things that we don't know how to ask for. And so we bless you, the creator of heaven and earth. So Spirit, would you make for us out of these physical elements spiritual food that we would be sustained and encouraged and given hope. 
And would you meet us in undeniable ways as we come to meet with you? And amen. The story is told that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night where he prayed, your will be done, that he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And in a similar way, he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to them and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. So take it and drink it. And whenever we drink this cup, whenever we eat this bread, we tell the story again. The story of while we were yet sinners, while we didn't know to ask for it, that Christ laid down his life for us. Thanks be to God. And it's a story that we rehearse in the eating. It's a story that we rehearse in the telling. By reciting these simple, winsome phrases that have been passed down to us from generation to generation. We say them together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. So let's eat and drink and pray and sing together. And let's receive from the Lord whatever the Lord has for us. So come, taste and see that the Lord is good. At these tables, you can come forward to be served, all allergen-free, and members of our prayer team still eager to pray with you. So come and receive who you are, the body of Christ.